You're listening to Helping of Happiness, episode number 118. Today we have Becca Levitt on talking about the Abnormal Family Project. Hi, you're listening to Helping of Happiness. I'm your host, Hilary Hess, a crazy mom of seven kids who loves to eat and loves to travel. Mom life can be exhausting, hectic, and scary at times. So let's take this journey together. We can love, we can learn, we can laugh, we can cry, and we can become better friends while we're at it. I am so excited for you guys to meet my friend Becca Levitt on the podcast today. She is a student at BYU and she's got this really cool project called the Abnormal Family Project that she's been working on. Hey, Becca. Hey, how's it going? So good. I'm super excited to be chatting about this with you today. Yep, I am as well. Thank you for this opportunity. So before we get started talking about your project, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you're up to in your family? Yeah, so like you said, I'm a student at BYU. I'm studying psychology. My plans go to law school and do family law. Um, I am drawn to the field of family law because of my family experiences. When I was seven years old, my father left and my mother filed for divorce. Uh, They both got remarried. My mom remarried somebody who had four kids of his own. And so I inherited four step-siblings in addition to my two brothers. And then between both sets of parents, uh, I have three more half-brothers. And so my family is definitely very interesting and very unique. Um, My senior year of high school, my mother filed for her second divorce after some issues that happened and so it's it's been a it's been a journey with my family but they definitely define who I am and I've kind of seen how the legal field interacts with families and what we can do maybe better for families that are going through things like this and um and so while my family tree definitely looks more like a train than a tree oh believe me my family tree's got all kinds of crazy too it's like (laughs) I don't know lots of different wives and kids and all different stuff everyone's linked together somehow but it's I think if I could choose a different or like a normal family setup I don't think I would at this point I found value and the experiences and the people that have come into my family because of the divorce and some of the hard things that have happened I think that's really cool that you find the the positive in that situation because there's definitely a lot of hard, hard, you know, hurtful feelings and loneliness that can come in with all of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So will you tell us a little bit about your Abnormal Family Project? Like where does that title come from? What's the story behind this project and kind of what made you want to start it? Yeah, so this project, uh, the Abnormal Family Projects, a community art initiative and publication Um, where participants can submit any type of art that shows the unique value that they find in their own non-traditional family experiences. These experiences can include adoption, divorce, immigration, racial diversity, LGBT identification, and more. And really, it's anything that falls outside of this uh, traditional family ideal that kind of became big in the 1950s of the single-income, middle-class white home where the dad comes home from work and the mom has been baking dinner all afternoon. The kids are all cleaned up and everything. So it's anybody, I believe everybody's experienced something that falls outside of that ideal. And so we all have say, So like non- side hustle mom with seven kids, that would be right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That we all have these non-traditional experiences that we need to talk about more and, and create more space for. And so that's what this project is trying to do. It's a not-for-profit profit project, meaning that any profit that publication makes after these art pieces are submitted and edited together into a final publication, 
uh, will be donated to a nonprofit that serves families. And so it's, it's all about giving back to families and trying to help families who may find themselves in difficult situations at different points. And so we chose the title Abnormal because it was shorter than non-traditional, as well as kind of carry, <laughs> kind of carry more of these more negative stigmas that had more punch to it. That it, it felt like it kind of got more reaction from people when you said my family's abnormal rather than non-traditional. And additionally, there's actually research out there that supports adopting negative self-labels, like for the Black community, the N-word is an example, where if a white person uses it, it's highly inappropriate, but the Black community generally uses it amongst themselves. And they found that that use and adopting that negative self-label actually has empowered Black community members. And so that's another thing we're trying to do is trying to kind of capture those negative those stigmas and kind of owning them and empowering abnormal families by kind of saying, yeah, you may think my family's abnormal, but I don't think that's a bad thing, and kind of taking away that power from that judgment that happens there. And so, uh, again, the effect of this project is, is really to allow space for therapeutic creativity for people who participate. And then for society, there's also research that supports that this, something like this can increase empathy, decrease stigmas, and potentially serve as a catalyst for social change around non-traditional family experiences. Uh, some examples include a study in Hong Kong with mental health, where they had mental health patients create art, and mental health there is very uh, stigmatized in East Asian cultures, and they had them create art and then had the public come and view it, and the public reported that they felt more empathy for that group. Um, additionally, it's happened in the UK with victims of childhood sexual abuse, where, again, the same thing where the public felt more empathy towards victims of childhood sexual abuse, and more understanding happened there. And so that's really kind of what this project's doing. It's we're trying to keep, we try to keep it as evidence-based to practice as possible, so that it actually does the good that we want it to do. And so we're we're really excited about it. So basically, this art is really making a lot of connecting, a lot of connections between these groups that maybe didn't have things that they saw in common before. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's interesting because there's a lot of a lot of the studies that you read, like psychological studies about art and what it can do often refer to art as a non-threatening form of communication where I can look at an art piece, I can interact with the art piece, and I can kind of, I guess, look internally at myself and reflect upon my feelings towards the person who created the art without having to do that in front of them. And so it's really non-threatening for me to kind of engage with somebody different than me and process and understand my emotions towards them and even let those emotions change and how, what I think about them change in a very non-threatening environment. Interesting. So were you, are you also an artist when you went into this or are you just an art appreciator? <laughs> uh, more of an art appreciator. <laughs> I, would as. I, my personal journey with this project comes from, I did art and, and writing throughout school and stuff. And, and really like in third grade, when the first divorce was happening, I was the silent kid in class. Like I remember in parent-teacher conference, my teacher always told my mom like, Hey, she never talks in class and that worries me. And then fourth grade, I found my passion for writing and it really opened me up. Like, I think I kind of returned to being more of a normal kid after that. And again, in art, in my AP art class in high school, I did a concentration piece on uh, broken homes, on the aftermath of divorce. Mm -hmm. And again, it was just very therapeutic, very soothing for me to kind of put these experiences I've had into context and understand the good and bad from these experiences. And so I, it's definitely not professional quality art, but I definitely appreciate the art. I appreciate what the art can do for each of us if we engage with it and, and try to, I guess, forget about skill level with it and, and instead enjoy what it can offer us. 
I kind of love that you said that though, because I think a lot of us think that we've got to be this amazing artist to make this work for us. You know, we, yeah. we get a little shy that maybe our skills aren't professional because mine sure aren't. I mean, I love to do art, but I don't consider myself an artist. You know, I consider yeah. myself a musician and things like that, but not an artist. So I think that that's really cool that it can be somebody that is just using art as a medium to get through these emotional struggles that they're going through. And it doesn't even have to be you making this amazing piece. It can just be you participating in the act of creation, which I think is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, like, I think that the piece that most, I reflect on most often, I, I did this coloring book for Broken Homes. It was part of my concentration pieces for that class. And one of the pages was a cross and the cross had been beaten around that was to me like signified like I felt like my faith at times was kind of like my faith definitely interacted with these experiences my parents getting divorced oh, sure. and kind of how that how that kind of has carried over into my faith going forward and my brother one of my half brothers ended up coloring that page because I asked if they wanted to participate he ended up coloring that picture specifically and it, it's very interesting like it's not like a fantastic picture it's very much looks like a coloring book picture but to me like that it's just been very powerful for me to look back and see us work together on that and creating something that kind of captures our experience and helps us understand our experience that is really cool so is that are there any other examples of that of how you kind of conceptualized these ideas and emotions that you had about your family through your art are there some other ways that you did that yeah I, I mean I mean, the biggest really, that concentration portfolio had a lot, and I think there's 12 pieces total. And so the coloring book was the bulk of it. Um, but there's also, I, I did this wedding cake and then like pieced it out and then added fish hooks to the bottom of it. And just kind of mm. at that point in my high school career, like I felt like marriage was kind of a trap and like, hey, like marriage doesn't always end and this like there's I didn't believe in the fairy tale of marriage I guess that right. marriage can be eternal and can last the rest of a life you can find love of your life and everything's great after that like it kind of felt like a hoax and so again that kind of helped me put on paper examine it and decide if I still believe it going forward so did it was there anybody walking you through this art or is this just kind of your own self-guided journey when you were doing this portfolio uh my, my art teacher was a huge help um, but he's also a great believer in letting ourselves kind of figure it out on our own because he thought yeah. that that's where the best art came from he didn't want to be the artist behind it he wanted us to be the artist behind the ideas and so he um, it was really helpful for him where he um, he just kind of he helped us talk through ideas and really the process is identifying an experience identifying an emotion and then thinking of tangible objects or, or things you can portray in art that relate to that experience and then finding a, way to, a creative way to represent those objects. And so it's kind of this process of connecting all those pieces to kind of end up with a piece that traces back to an original experience that has high emotions or has a high reaction value to it. That is really a cool way to do that. I love that. So what are, are there like some activities or memories that you have that inspired you that kind of gave you some happiness through like during this hard and difficult time or like kind of how did this lead to art? These different yeah. Things? Yeah. There's, there's really so, there's just so many memories. I was actually going through some old pictures of my mom 
and it's, it's kind of interesting my family has these like three phases like the first phase where it's just my mom my dad and my two brothers and then the second phase where it's the step siblings and half brothers and step parents and then this third phase where my mom after the second divorce where we're still in contact with the step family but, but things are different again that like we're looking through all these pictures through all these different phases just kind of watching this change happen to our family and people come and go and just kind of realizing that there's still happy memories that happen during each phase, like happy vacations or happy trips or happy late game nights on New Year's Eve with lots of snacks and just the happiness happened the whole way through. And that's kind of that inspires my art in a way where I don't want to just portray the bad from my experiences. I want to portray both the good and the bad because there's both there and it'd be unrealistic or unfair of me to only portray the negative side of it, that there's good to my experience and there's been good times. There's been, good memories. Well, and there's probably a lot of healing that comes with acknowledging that too, right? Making more of light and love than they're, you know, just of the hard and difficult. I love that kind of contrast that you're doing both. Um, And was there, um, do you have any ideas of how we as families can spend some more time creating art? Yeah. So I, there's a book that I read, it was called, I think the fatherless daughter project. And the biggest takeaway message I got from it was that you have to schedule time for yourself. Like you have to schedule like an appointment. I've heard other self-help books kind of address this idea of scheduling time to do something that you know will be helpful for you. And, and so it's really to me, like art for me is something I have to schedule into my day. Otherwise other things will take over. <laughs> yes. Doing the dishes or, or doing something else. And I know if I spend time just doing a little bit of art, even if it's not great art, that it helps me, sit down with my emotions, process my emotions, and continue my process of healing from from things that have been difficult, as well as kind of look at the good things and feel hope about my future again. So it's a really pivotal moment in my day that I try to fit in wherever I can, try to schedule it in, I guess, so that it happens. And, And that's, I think, important is just you have to schedule it. Otherwise, other things will just take over. Yeah, well, especially when you're a busy student and you're working, and I know in my life, if I don't schedule whatever I want to have in my life, the day just runs away from me. So I think that's Absolutely. a good tip. So how does this help us? Because you talk about how this helps in our family identity. How does this give our family better identity by doing this? Yeah, so there's, um, in some of my research, so this project, part of it came from doing a research paper for one of my classes about art and what art can do for certain populations and I came across this idea of narrative art creation where basically you they've used this with veterans a couple of times in a couple of different studies where they have them in multiple like they keep revisiting the same events and have them try to like put it together through art or through writing whatever medium they prefer and in the end they end up creating this coherent storyline of their experiences and after they can do that, they found that they're better able to heal and go through therapy and process traumatic experiences they experienced while being active in the military. And so mm-hmm. I feel like that's the same for families, where we can, we can, if we can process and put it into a coherent story that we can visualize and see through our art or through our writing, that we can better process our experiences and better understand where we fit in those experiences and be able to kind of see what may still be bothering us or see where we may not fully understand the full picture and keep revisiting it over and over again so that we can, I guess, create a coherency out of our experiences that can help us heal. That's really cool. I like that. That is really cool. 
Well, was there anything else that you wanted to share before we move on to our three helpful and happy questions? Yeah, um, well, so we have a Facebook page and that's where on every, we try to have on every Facebook post, the link for submissions. It's just a Google doc form. And, and how long are you speaking there. submissions for? How long is this gonna, or do you, do you have a timeline or just keep submitting? Yeah. Yeah, we have we anticipated deadline of December 31st to okay. contact some high school teachers and they mentioned that it would be helpful to include next year's students. Um, we may extend that depending on kind of coronavirus and how that plays out with education oh, no. system right now. It's like crazy. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. So there's a submission deadline that's subject to change. It's not a hard and fast deadline. And it's just more kind of like try to get people encouraged them to do it now rather than wait on it. Yeah. Well, in summer is such a great time to create. I think that's awesome. It is. It is. And so we have the Facebook page. You can like and follow us to kind of see updates with that as it happens. And that's the um, Abnormal Family Project on Facebook. And, we, and we'll yes. link to this in the show notes so but people awesome. can go straight over there. Perfect. And yeah, and the last thing is really that, again, all of our families have experienced something that's non-traditional, that falls away from the traditional ideal. And if we can just share these experiences with each other, and that's what I'm trying to facilitate is this ability to share with each other, start these conversations so that a family that may be struggling or feeling stigmatized, feeling marginalized, can feel like they fit in still. And so that's really what we're trying to do. And I, I think anybody can help, and I'd love for everybody to help. And, and so it's any of your listeners who are thinking about doing it, I'd really encourage them to just jump for it and go for it. And I think it would be a really great experience for all of us involved who participate. And what are the ages that you're looking for on this? Are you looking like little kids all the way through adults? Or what, you know, tell us what age bracket we're, we're looking at. All, all ages. I mean, all people have family at all ages. And so we, we don't want to be exclusive. Like everybody can participate Granted, with children. We do have on the consent form that they have, they need to have guardian um, approval. Permission. Right, right. Permission. Yeah. That we, we don't want to be sued. So no, we're come on. To avoid that. <laughs> but yeah, as long as the, the parents are okay with them sharing whatever they share, then as young as they want to be. I mean, again, some of my brothers are still really little and um, if my mom mentioned that they're thinking of participating and I absolutely, I think the little kids have some unique views that we should also consider and see when it comes to families. That's really cool. I love that. Well, my kids will be on it. That's like pretty much all we do every day is some <laughs> kind of art creation and some kind That's of so cool. Lego creation and some kind of, you know, across the, across the gamut here, but you know, all those kinds of things during COVID. So that is so awesome. We'll definitely link up to that. Is there any other um, any other things about this submissions that you wanted to add? No, nope, I think we've covered it. Again, skills not important. It's it's really the stories that we're after. So awesome. again, we just encourage everyone to consider it. We'd love to see what you have to say about your families. Awesome, awesome. Well, if you don't mind, we'd love to know a little bit more about you. I always add in this little section. Well, not always, but most of the time I add in this little section, um, three helpful and happy questions that ties our podcast into our Helping of Happiness blog. So on our blog, it not only houses the podcast, but we talk about family recipes, family travel, and homemaking hacks. So cool. let's start with, do you have a favorite food or meal? Um, I would have to say, uh, I think Lou is how you say it. My husband's Tongan. His mom's from Tonga. Ooh. And they make this dish. I don't know. It's, it's corned beef with coconut milk and salt and onions wrapped up in taro leaves. And you bake it in the oven for like 40 minutes or something. And then you serve it with boiled white yams. Oh. And it's, it's, I love it. It's my treat. So. <gasps> 
Wow. I love pretty much anything with coconut milk. And I don't know right? that I've ever had white yams. That sounds really good. Yeah. yeah. It is tasty. And it's a staple. It's like whenever, because Tongans generally, they have these eatings. Yeah. Um, they just get together and just eat food. And I think it's fantastic. I think all cultures should have those. Oh, <laughs> um. yeah. I feel like my family, it's like food is such a huge part of our family culture that and I, this, I think I could get on board with some Tongan eatings. This sounds really good. Absolutely. And they always have that there. So I, I love that food. That is really cool. Okay. So what's, do you have a best trip you've ever gone on or like a dream vacation? Yeah. So I, I have two trips that come to mind. The first, my most enlightening, I guess, trip would be a trip to Mongolia that I took with my husband. He oh my mission there, And we went back and it just being a week and a half in a different culture, the other side of the world is just so eye opening to realize just how small my world really is here. <gasps> Especially when located. he served there, so he knows the language yeah. and the people and everything. How cool! Yeah, he knows how to get around, which was very oh, helpful. He would have been lost. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then my other vacation, the most relaxed one. Um, my family's been there twice. We go up to Bandon, Oregon, and there's a little hotel called Windmere on the Beach, where you like literally you walk out the back porch of this little condo and you're on the beach of Oregon. It just oh, it's so geez. nice. So. Oh, that sounds especially nice right now when I'm like dying in suppressive (laughs) Texas heat. (laughs) Yes. So dreamy. Oh, goodness. Those are good ones. I'm glad you brought those up. Those aren't ones that I've heard before. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Okay. So do you have a homemaking hack for us? Um, For me, I learned this from a past CEO that I worked for where he only touched a piece of paper once. That was like his business motto. And so like for me, I tried to at home, like I only touch something once. And if I can't get it done right now, I'm not going to touch it and move it somewhere else. Like it's going to stay there until I can finish the task from A to Z. And so that's helped me to like force myself to get things done and not just do things halfway or like shove things in a closet and pretend like they don't exist. So man, my kitchen would look so different if we all employed that in my house. That's amazing. (laughs) I need yeah. you to train train me and especially my children on that because I it drives me crazy all the things <laughs> that they're leaving out. Yeah, I wasn't good at it as a child. Like you can ask my mom, but I've, I've learned as an adult that keeps me sane. So, so it can be learned. There's hope. <laughs> there's hope. Yes, probably after they move out, but there's hope. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, Becca, this has been such a treat. I always love talking to a fellow BYU Cougar, and it's just really fun to hear about your project. And I'm I'm also a huge fan, obviously, of families and anything that's out there to strengthen families and bring them closer and have people have better identity in their family. It's just exactly what I love talking about. So thank you so much for bringing your ideas over today. Really, really appreciate it and had a great time talking with you. Yeah, thank you. I did as well. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today. It is just such an honor for us to have you listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this, please go share it with a friend. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you would give us a rating and a review. And of course, subscribe if you're enjoying it. We'd love to get feedback on how you feel about the podcast. Plus, it helps us so much to be able to be more searchable on this platform. Thank you so much.